Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the courageous Carla Everson, the extravagant Erica Bon Barbagris, and the judicious Jim Anderson. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and Matt, and we're going to talk about the D&D movie trailer and how media influences our games, or vice versa. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get-to-know-a-gnome question. Tell us about a character of yours that was based on a movie or a TV show? Was it obvious to everyone who interacted with the character or did you file the serial numbers off? Jared, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so the most recent one that I can think of was when I was uh, playing in an Eberron game. I had a half-orc bard that was... um, No, sorry, he was an orc bard that was um, an archaeologist... And I modeled him after Belloc in uh, the Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> except like he was going through a redemption arc because he was basically working for unscrupulous people during the last war. And now he was kind of trying to, uh, you know, redeem himself afterwards working with these adventurers. But he had like the white outfit and you know a, a white hat that he wore all the time. And <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Matt? I had to dig deep for this one. Uh, I'll preface it by saying that it was an aberrant game, which is the White Wolf superheroes campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the DM was intending to run a completely serious campaign. So, of course, I rolled up with a character inspired by Grape Ape. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, of course, you know, I stole from many sources. So he was a... a debutante businessman kind of batman type thing by day and then by night he transformed into an enormous purple ape in a diaper and when he woke up in the morning he had no idea where he had been or why he was in a giant diaper oh goodness (laughs) (laughs) but our topic this week isn't about making sure everyone's on the same wavelength and social and zero (laughs) what about you Ange? The most recent one I probably did was based off of Shuri from Black Panther, but that was a one shot. It was basically a kind of make your character at the table. And she was totally a ripoff of Shuri. But when I got back into playing role playing games, uh, the very first 3.0 D&D character I made was an absolute ripoff of Legolas. I wanted to play a pretty blonde elf who was really, really good with a bow and arrow. And so, hence was born my ranger, Kiana Winborn. I was fairly upfront with, oh yeah, it's she's totally based off of Legolas. But, you know, none of the story stuff, just pretty blonde elf, really good with a bow. That was, that was what I got out of her. For what it's worth, I had a WoW character once based off Legolas. He was a blood elf, and his name was Legilas. So getting into our main topic, just recently the first trailer for the D&D movie starring Chris Pine and more stars was dropped. It caused an uproar with anyone who has any experience playing D&D, as pretty much we all collectively shouted owlbear at our screens. Now, whether the movie ends up being good or not remains to be seen, but there are a ton of people excited by that trailer. If just because we got to see on screen many of our favorite D&D monsters and tropes. So we thought it would be fun to come on here and talk about how 
media influences our gaming and how we're finally starting to see how our gaming influences media right back. Jared, tell us your thoughts on that trailer. I really want this movie to be awesome. And the trailer worked for me, which is keeping my hope alive. So, and I'm saying this as someone that's not just been burned by D&D movies, but also by what Hasbro thinks is a really good movie to put out to promote their products in the past. <laughs> I'm hoping this is more of a Bumblebee than the other Transformers movies. Yeah, the Transformer movies are... <laughs> they're complicated. Yeah. Not in plot or in direction or anything like that, but feelings about those movies is very complicated. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that they have Chris Pine playing a bard is a, a sign that someone understands. We need someone with a lot of charisma to do this. <laughs> I liked it, and there are a lot of like little details that kind of show you that I think they are more concerned about getting details right this time around than with previous D&D movies, like when you see simple things like the rogue character, I, Hugh Grant, flipping a coin, and it is a, uh, a Waterdeep dragon coin, and Chris Pine having a little uh, Harper pin on his uh, outfit, and just all sorts of things like that. I'm not saying that's going to make it good, but it's kind of like with uh, Christopher Nolan and the Batman movies. If you read Batman in the 90s, you knew all of the stories he was putting into these uh, different movies, even if he was doing something much different with them than those original stories, because these were all coming from, like, big 90s stories, and it's like, he had to have been a Batman geek that sat down and read these things. Now, how about you, Matt? Now, please tell me you have seen it. Yeah, I actually ran out uh, as soon as you said that's what we were talking about and went and looked at it. <laughs> because prior to that, the only thing that I knew about it was that there were a bunch of people irritated by it on the internet. Uh, <laughs> it's a day ending in Y. Of course there are people irritated on the internet. <laughs> yes. Although I have hot sports opinions about the things people on the internet are irritated about. So we'll get into that later. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously optimistic. I like that it looks serious and not campy like the last one that I saw. I immediately thought that, you know, it's an all thief campaign and that's a really popular choice to go with. Well, I do believe that Regé Jean Page is playing a paladin. Yes. Mm. Zank the paladin. I love the trailer, just like Jared and Matt. I am hopeful. I'm very hopeful they get this right. They've got some good actors. I know a lot of people keep going, yeah, but the movie from the 2000 had Jeremy Irons in it. It had Jeremy Irons in it chewing the scenery as if he got paid for <laughs> bite mark on scenery. Honestly, Jeremy Irons was not the problem no, with that movie. No, <laughs> like, Anyway, it's like they have a really good cast. It looks like the people making it understand the thing that they're making a movie of. And there were so many little Easter eggs and teases in that trailer that I had to watch it like three times. And it still took me two times before I realized that that was a uh, Displacer Beast. One of the interesting things that I found is when I posted it on Facebook and had a little bit of conversation going, somebody who tends to be a little more, eh, you know, like a little bit more of one of those people that's complaining on the Internet. No offense to him. But uh, he came in and he's like, hey, they're ripping off Guardians of the Galaxy. 
And my response was Guardians of the Galaxy kind of ripped off D&D because that is the most D&D party I have ever seen in a movie. And I said that when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. And that kind of leads us into that. What influences your gaming and how gaming has started to influence media? Because there are a lot of people in the industry who have gamed or are currently gamers. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know if you follow him on uh, Twitter, but John Rogers, he is constantly talking about things that he learned in gaming that relate back to how he operates as a showrunner and plots out things. I believe at one point in time they talked about how they were using like uh, fate aspects to summarize to people how different scenes were supposed to go and what a character's main motivation was and things like that. What shows are he responsible for? Probably the best known one would be Leverage. I just wanted to make sure for our audience because, mm -hmm. yeah, because Leverage, <laughs> if you are a gamer and you watched the first few episodes of that first season, you're like, this is totally an RPG party. <laughs> it's totally an RPG party. So, Matt. You know, what kind of properties have influenced your gaming over the years that you have found yourself pulling ideas from to bring into gaming? Very early on, Lord of the Rings. I mean, who wasn't inspired by that when they were younger? <laughs> I, I pulled in a lot of Lovecraft, problematic, but still very good source material, as long as you're careful what you pull from. How about you, Ange? So very early on in my gaming career, the first campaign I ever played that wasn't D&D was a Champions campaign. It was teenagers with superpowers attending a boarding school in the Northeast. And it was very, very much not the X-Men. Totally not even <laughs> remotely related to the X. It was totally the X-Men and New Mutants with all of the serial numbers <laughs> filed off of it. And so that was kind of my first experience with, you know, very direct pulling of ideas from other media into gaming. And then, you know, after that, Vampire the Masquerade came out and you saw all sorts of ideas being pulled in from different media and all of that. In more recent years, several times I have created role-playing games using systems to run something that doesn't actually have a licensed property. Like I have run a Warehouse 13 game. Very much I find myself drawn to games that are made based on properties I like, like Firefly, like Doctor Who, um, like Star Wars. God, give me a good Star Wars game. I love a good Star Wars game. <laughs> so it's like definitely there are media influences on the way I game. And you, Jared? You know what's really funny? For one thing, I was just going to say I can't mention this without saying that when I first ran Ghostbusters, which in and of itself is being influenced by watching that movie and it being one of my favorite movies of all time. But as soon as the RPG came out, I had the characters going up against Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought, what better for a, uh, a comedic uh, supernatural tone than to introduce Freddy Krueger <laughs> to Oh, but I mean, we we were doing that sort of things all the time. My friend um, threw uh, Terminator at us in a Mech Warrior game. It was something that happened just kind of naturally when we were younger. 
But what I think is really interesting is I got into gaming, I would say, probably around 85. So I'm not like first generation RPGer, but I'm not like that far removed from it. Mm -hmm. But even by that point in time, it was not long before Marvel superheroes came out. So you were already seeing this idea, like, um, basically things feeding into each other. You know, this was a licensed game that was coming out and it was one of TSR's biggest games for a long time. You know, so you already saw that kind of feeding into that to the point to where now what's interesting is Marvel is actually putting out their current RPG by themselves, not through anyone. They just decided this would be a good idea if we just published our own RPG. <laughs> it doesn't matter if an official RPG is out there. If it inspires gamers, they will bring it to the table. Mm -hmm. I have a ton of friends who run Mutants and Masterminds at cons, and they are usually DC or Marvel properties. Mm -hmm. I have played The Defenders. I have played Wonder Woman, Scarlet Witch, Misty Knight. I have played all of these characters in their games because this is what they brought to the table. Mm -hmm. I have played an Avatar The Last Airbender RPG probably about eight years ago now because the GM was inspired by the show, thought it would make a good con game, created the characters from Korra, um, the... Legend of Korra mm -hmm. show and brought them to the table and we played and it was fantastic. For conventions, I love getting to play canon characters. It can be a lot of fun to like step into a role that you know and love. Mm -hmm. uh, when I when I bring Firefly, or technically I should say Serenity, because I don't run the Firefly rules, I tend to run modified version of serenity rules but whatever when i bring that show's characters to the table it's because the players want a second season episode they never got mm -hmm. so it's basically just you know come up with a loose framework of an idea of what an episode could have been about give the players the characters and see what happens what i think is really kind of fascinating because you're talking about how these things feed into us so all of us as younger kids watching all this media and being influenced by it and adding it to our games. But then also this media, once it became popular, feeding back into other things is to look at. And, you know, it just occurred to me, like most of the cast of Star Trek Discovery has a D&D &D game that they play. So that is a thing that all of these people that are creative people that are sitting around making Star Trek episodes engage in. Debran Wall taught all of the people on the Daredevil set how to play D&D. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting how this has become pervasive enough that it is like the ideas and concepts from role-playing games and the way you explore these things are feeding back into the creative people that are making media at this point. So that is actually part of the cycle. Well, I don't know if a lot of the creative forces behind modern Marvel modern Star Wars, modern Star Trek were gamers in the past, they were absolutely nerds. <laughs> a lot of the media we are getting now that is, you know, beloved by everyone, but also by our nerdy RPG communities are being made by people who were like, no, this is, this is, I want to see this. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm making. 
Kieran Gillen, a well-known comic book writer and cousin of uh, Nebula, he funded an RPG. So there again, you have this idea that, you know, this person that was famous for writing comic books then said, hey, I would like to write my own RPG. And then, you know, goes in and crowdfunds this. So it's just really fascinating how this web is kind of like pulling everything closer and closer together for me. There are so many more properties now that are being pulled into role-playing games like in just the last five years we've gotten star trek we've gotten dune we've gotten the aliens uh, rpg mm. we've gotten avatar the last airbender i just saw jared you posted something or somebody posted something in your discord about a company getting the rights to do an rpg for god of war mm -hmm. and the horizon series yeah all of these these properties that are just like well-known media franchises are getting their role, not to mention the Marvel role-playing game. There's a specifically Batman one coming out that just crowdfunded recently. I didn't know about that one. I would like to see the whole DC universe again. I like Batman <laughs> just fine, but I actually like Batman when he has to interact with the Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, so give me the Justice League, please. The other thing that's been really interesting to me is, again, when we go to the circle of influence here, is we are going to have a Blades in the Dark show at some point in time. That's been licensed. Alice is Missing is getting a movie. Ah. Spencer Stark, the person that wrote the uh, RPG, is actually involved in the production of that movie. So it's not just necessarily going to be this strange, like, you know, someone licensed it and does whatever they want with it. This is something where the creator is going to have a specific hand in how this turns out. That's interesting. Part of how I ended up in D&D &D is my sister saw them playing D&D &D in E.T. And decided that that looked cool my parents bought her this box that she never actually you know did anything with it so i stole it from her <laughs> it's just funny because even back then like early 80s this started off from my sister seeing et it's so interesting how this got so intertwined into other media that then feeds back into everything else well without even getting into the influence of critical role and what that level of actual play has done for people learning about D&D &D and getting into the hobby. Um, Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. There's an entire generation of kids who like know what D&D &D is about now because they've played it on Stranger Things. My entire teen D&D &D group is like, oh yeah, like on Stranger Things. And I'm going to say, I don't think there's anything that has made D&D &D look cooler than that interspersed last game of the campaign that they did with the basketball game. That was such a great scene. <laughs> I haven't seen the most recent season yet. I've heard everything about the latest season is I actually need to see it. I just haven't gotten there yet. I'm not going to ruin anything else for you, but there is a scene. And when you see it, it is such just like people being exhilarated about playing D&D &D in that scene. And it is great. But even when you mention like Critical Role, that's now not just people watching the streaming show and having this unprecedented number of people watching the streaming show. I'll go to the simpler things first. You have comic books that are coming out from Dark Horse that are about the setting. You have novels that are coming out about the setting, about some of the individual characters. And you now have a big budget animated fantasy series on Amazon Prime. 
So you have all kinds of people, again, that may not even engage with the game that are seeing things that are artifacts of this game that are then feeding back into, you know, their thought process on all these things. With some of the things we were saying about the D&D trailer of how it looks like there's people involved who actually get it Mm -hmm. with the Critical Role cartoon There were people involved who actually get it. I mean, I watched the first episode and the immediate thing I did was text my friend Scott, who had played a bard in one of our campaigns. And I'm like, you need to see this. This bard is just like yours. I was going to say, I think Sam and Travis were both involved in like the production side of that. So not only are the episodes modeled on events from the campaign, you actually have people from that campaign that are working with the writers and the uh, directors and animators and everything. More than just voicing their characters. Yeah. Yeah. The funniest thing about that is Matt doesn't get to do that many voices in the cartoon. <laughs> That's true, because they bring in guest stars to do the other voices. <laughs> and I want to throw this one to Matt first. Do you think there is a potential problem with some of these things? Like one of the complaints about Critical Role is that it sets unrealistic expectations to new players about what D&D is. Do you think there's a problem with these things becoming more common in media? that people are going to come to gaming and then be disappointed that their games are not that? Absolutely. That That's one of the big curmudgeonly complaints that I have about that whole scene is that people are going to come to the table and they're not going to have these production values that you see in these products they have people making their sets for them and they have people making their miniatures for them as opposed to some poor GM that's doing it all in his basement somewhere. But at the same time, it's like a lot of other types of media that you you have to realize they're professionals doing it. It's okay if you don't have the same production value, if you don't have the same results, as long as you're having fun. And I think that's what I worry people will miss but I think it's the important takeaway. I think in the grand scheme of things, the percentage of people who basically dip their toe in the hobby and then leave because they're not getting Matt Mercer as their GM or that level of production values is relatively small. And I say this because having dealt with new players at my table a fair amount with either running at cons or like my teen D&D group, If they are going to be angry that they're not getting that level of performance and entertainment out of you, then there's something else going on with them because most of them are so deep in their own head about being at that table and playing their character that getting even just a normal game experience is enough to make them go, hey, that was pretty good. I had a kid for the first time in my teen D&D game a few weeks ago and she was quiet the whole game. I could get her to like tell me what her character was doing when I directly asked her. And when all things were said and done, she was like, that was awesome. That's the most fun I've had in a long time. (laughs) And I'm like, I didn't, I wasn't even sure you were having fun kid. But (laughs) I think that for most new people, when getting into it, they're still going to be so caught up in their own head that some of that stuff isn't going to matter and the small percentage that it will matter is negligible. I think the bigger problem in relation to that is the people that don't want to try GMing because they don't think they can be that to start with. I think that's probably a bigger problem in the hobby. 
if you have a player who comes to your table and throws you under the bus because you're not Matt Mercer and you don't have a star production team behind you, are you really sure you want to be gaming with that person anyway? It is interesting, though, if you do have the person that is looking at everything that they do now with all of the extra cameras and the setups and the lighting and, you know, the Dwarven Forge and all of the, you know, painted miniatures. If that same person goes back and watches season one when they first started, there is a bit of a contrast. <laughs> when they first came on, uh, you know, Geek and Sundry, it was not quite this level of uh, polish. <laughs> season one looked a lot similar to my online games. So we've been talking for about a half an hour. Any last thoughts about the D&D trailer or the media that makes us play games? So I came to this episode with one hot sports opinion, and by God, I'm going to say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what I've heard on the internet is people are complaining that druids can't turn into owlbears and that tieflings <laughs> don't look like that. I want to say that if those are your complaints, you're looking at it from a too recent perspective. Yes, in 5e, those two complaints are valid. But in third edition, oh my God, there had to have been a druid splat book that lets you be an owlbear. <laughs> and in second edition, tieflings absolutely did look like that. It's not until recent editions that they looked like the Drenai from WoW. <laughs> Think about it bigger picture and unclench a little. Actually, Chris Perkins, one of the people's deeply involved at Wizards of the Coast creating D&D, posted on Twitter in very specific response to that. Is a druid turning into an owlbear? Rules is written. No, it's not. Would I let it happen at my table? You're damn right I'd let that happen at my <laughs> table. That's the rule of cool. Just remember, rule of cool, guys. Uh, Jared, your thoughts. I'm really excited to see how role-playing keeps feeding into media and how media keeps feeding into role-playing because the more tightly wound those things are, the less likely media is to forget that role-playing exists and that, you know, role-playing, you know, falls into a corner and becomes this thing from the dustbin of history. <laughs> and honestly, I really want role-playing games to get tied even more tightly into media so that they uh, exist forever. Because if we're going to have to relive some of the stupid things from the 80s, like the Satanic Panic, I want to make sure <laughs> that we also get really popular RPGs again. Yeah, I think my final thoughts is just keep being inspired. And I hope that the people that are making media continue to dip their toes into the RPG hobby and get even more and more influenced by it. Because as I said earlier, Guardians of the Galaxy is totally an RPG group. Totally. So this show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link at the Gnome Stew website, the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by RPG Flicks, your one-stop shop for all the media that inspires RPGs, regardless of whether it has its own RPG like Avatar, either one, or Star Trek, or something that doesn't have its own RPG and people just make it up. Come to RPG Flicks for all of that inspiration. If you're enjoying the Gnome Cash, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Pandas Talking Games. Queer gamers talking about tabletop role-playing games and making outtakes. Join Pandas Phil and Senda every Monday answering listener questions about playing, running, and designing tabletop RPGs. Get cozy and let's talk about some games.
You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Uh, Jared, anything else you want to give a shout out to? Well, if you'd like to look at uh, the reviews that I do that are not published on gnomestew, you can go to whatdoiknowjr.com and you can find my personal blog there. The other shout out, I think I just wanted to um, call people's attention back to the last Gnomecast when I did my uh, interview with Steve Kenson. Go check out the Twilight Accord Patreon because it's really cool. And I want to see this get made into a really snazzy, shiny hardcover book that I can buy. So you should definitely go check that out. Buy and covet and stroke and put on your bookshelf (laughs) with all your other collection, your dragon horde. Or maybe play it. Matt, what about you? I recently was given a comp copy of a game called Mutant Romp by Fishwife Games, and it is a lot of fun. It's kind of a metamorphosis alpha old school feel. Your character generation is very random, but the crowning jewel of it is uh, Fishwife Games makes all these top hundred list of things you find in a bar and hundred you know things here and whatever, but. This game has so many of them packed in there that the cost of the PDF is worth it just for the random lists. We'll have a link for both of those in the show notes. I just want to shout out to the fact that it is August and it is time for RPG a day for 2022. This is something I have been enjoying doing for the last few years. I post on Facebook every day uh, with a question or a prompt or something to get a conversation started about RPGs. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to their list of questions for 2022. Do you think we avoided the stew this week or uh... <laughs> not a chance in hell? <laughs> no, no. Not if yeah, Chris has anything true. to say about it. 